Hi. Hi. Good to see you today. Yeah. Got to see you yesterday, too. <clears throat> mm -hmm. That was fun. So I know you complain a lot about one-year-old birthday parties, but personally, I think they're the best. I mean, isn't it fun to watch this baby have a cake put in front of them and just figure out where is this going, what are they going to do? And Emmett, in classic form, went, yep, hands on. I'm freaked out. And then went, what's that? Yeah, uh, just so you know, we are not, we're not abusive parents. Uh, we, don't, we don't, you know, drop Emmett down the stairs or anything, but you're, you're going to see, if you, if you see him today, it looks like he's got this big crack in his head right down the middle because Riley so kindly decided that uh, it was a Harry Potter themed birthday party and so she put the Harry Potter scar tattoo on his forehead and it won't come off <laughs> so he's gonna be little Emmett Potter for the foreseeable future and we're just Asking for no judgment on that. <laughs> oh, it was fun. It was a really fun day. It was fun to be with uh, Riley's family. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always just love uh, being around the people who brought Riley into the world. Mm -hmm. Best thing. And to have Maggie back from Florida and get to see all of them. And then I finally got to meet the little cousins. So finally got to meet Liam and Declan. Oh, my gosh. Cutest kids in the world. Mm -hmm. Next to Emmett, of course. And then, uh, and then, you know, to be able to be around friends of yours that you've known since eighth grade who now have children and man brian's kid is aiming at linebacker at about five i mean just uh <laughs> it's it's it was a lot of fun a yeah. lot of fun really really good time and and in old man fashion i'd have to say i can't believe it's already a year already a year in fact uh what it'll be overnight Overnight tonight that he'll be born, right? Yeah, yeah. Longest night in the history of Earth. No lie. <laughs> no what lie. What time was he born? I don't remember. Oh, really? I thought for sure you'd know. I was so delirious. I, we had been, it was a 38-hour labor, so I, I don't know. It was some, somewhere in between hour one and hour 38. Something happened. <laughs> oh, you're I, good. Okay. <laughs> I'll look it up today so we can actually, but it, it, was, it was after three, in the, after three in the morning. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, I lost track. We were very tired. It, so, was, it was a good time. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for giving us Emmett. He's, yeah. He is just an absolute hoot. What, what, uh, what did you hear about cookies? Well, yesterday, I mean, it looked like an incredible time. Again, I, I would have loved to be there um, without the, the birthday party going on, but um, I was looking through pictures this morning, and if you have the chance, if you, if you don't already follow the Southfield student Instagram, since Julie has taken it over, um, it is just phenomenal. And like, the, the pictures that you get, the things that you get to see of what we're, what we're doing, so much better than what I used to do. And I'm flipping through, looking at the different things, and I'm looking at all the cookies that I know are going to be brought to our Christmas party tonight. And then the very last picture, it, it, there was something in the caption saying, you know, don't, don't be surprised by the last one. Swiping through, swiping through, swiping through. And then I see a picture of Lorelai Wojwoda. And she is in the middle of making the scariest face I've ever seen in my entire life. She's got like, she's, were you trying to do like triple chin? She's trying to do triple chin. And like, I don't know, the, I'm not going to spoil it by trying to re, remake the face. Go follow Southfield students on Instagram. Check it out. It's hilarious. It, 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 was a, it looked like a really, really good time. So I'm, I'm fired up though because I know that there are going to be 
dozens of cookies coming home, as long as they don't get eaten beforehand, all right? So, yeah, make sure, make sure you don't eat them all, all right? Um, but, yeah, so that's tonight. Our Christmas party tonight is going to be at our normal time, 6 to 8, and then Refuge is going to have our Christmas party normal time, 6.30 to 8.30 on Wednesday. So this week we kind of get to, to celebrate and be together, which is the best, uh, best part about the whole season. And then the next two weeks will be off since next Sunday is Christmas Eve. It is. It is. What do Christmas parties look like? What do you do special? Anything? Well, so tonight and Wednesday, we're encouraging kids, like if you have a Christmas sweater or even just Christmas colors, wear, wear red and green because it's, it's just fun to, to be like in the spirit of everything. So it's not required. You can show up if you still choose to wear all black. It doesn't matter. But uh, we, we, want you, we want you wearing those, those fun things. And I, I had a debate with a friend yesterday at Emma's birthday party about the Christmas sweater thing. It, it was when we were in high school that it started becoming really popular to go to Goodwill and search for the old grandma Christmas sweaters. You know, the ones that were like hand, you know, woven and, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'd have like those little fuzzy balls for the, the reindeer's nose and there was way too much sparkle. Like they were really, really bad. But in being really, really bad, they were really, really good. Kids today, we're, we, I call them cheaters. Because you, you can't just go to Walmart and buy a hoodie that looks like an ugly sweater. No, you've got to put in the legwork. You actually have to go digging, and, and it's harder than ever to find, because people are hanging on to them now. When you find a really bad Christmas sweater, it stays in your, it stays in your, your closet forever. So it's harder than ever, I admit that. But uh, the, the T-shirt or the, the hoodie or whatever it is that just has the ugly sweater print, I think it's cheating. But... As you guys learned with our uh, murder mystery dinner, I don't necessarily have a problem with cheating. <laughs> so, so it doesn't matter. Wear, wear whatever you'd like tonight uh, and Wednesday. Because uh, we, we obviously we get dressed up. We have all kinds of candy canes, so they're going to get sugared up. Um, and uh, just a ton of different games that we don't play throughout the year. So uh, both nights are going to be a blast. Good deal. Good deal. When the update came out, one of the main things that was on there that we wanted to to share with you is, uh, we, you know, we come to the end of the year and a lot of different organizations or whatever are kind of doing their, their Christmas appeal, mm-hmm. that year-end, hey, if you're going to give a, a year-end gift, here's what to guide it toward. And we thought it would be good to, to share with you that if you, were, if you were looking to give kind of an over and above year-end gift, there is a, there is a place to go ahead and, and give that. Uh, with all that's going on in our world, with the economy and everything, uh, we, I tell you what, it was truly a blessing from God, the timing of when we built. Uh, in fact, we were moving in a week from now uh, in 2014, and, uh, and, and the timing when we built, interest rates were phenomenal. And as you know, they're soon to be worse than ever. So it's going, you know, going, going up in terms of, of where things are. And in a church, you don't take out a 30-year mortgage. It's more of a business, business mortgage where your business loan, where every Recycling. three years it's mm-hmm. resetting. So when it resets, it's going to reset much higher than we ever have. And one of the things that would be helpful is to reduce, reduce that principle. So if you've been looking for a place to, to give, uh, you can feel free to just give toward the building fund, and we'll make sure that that ends up in the right place. Uh, Christmas Eve services next week are, are at the same times as normal, 9 and 10.30. So we look forward to you coming and being a part of that time together. 
Uh, Christmas, a lot of you go ahead and send out Christmas cards, Christmas cards that involve your picture and whatever, and it's possible I'm not on your list, and that's okay. But if you have some extras laying around uh, and you want to bring them on in, and just bring them over to the Welcome Center. I like to use those cards with your pictures to be able to pray for you and your family through the year. So if you've got an extra that didn't get sent out, make sure you go ahead and uh, bring that on in and we'll make good use of it. We're not going to do the Proverbs reading today. And in part because we are doing now an Advent reading too. So if you wouldn't mind going ahead and lighting our Advent candles for the week, it's one, two, and pink. Pink is uh, not just the fact that we couldn't afford four uh, purple candles, but um, pink is a symbol of hope, symbol of hope that we are just one week away from, from the, the coming of our Messiah. And so we're going to be spending some time today talking about hope. But I did find interesting, I listened to Proverbs this morning, I was using um, Bible Project reading for that, and I thought it was really intriguing. It talks about, the first verse talks about what it's like to just live in a miserable household. And, and they draw out, draw out a theme in there that, that I thought was really interesting. It said, yeah, it doesn't have to be miserable. If you'd have some self-control, it doesn't have to be miserable. And so again, sometimes it seems like Proverbs are just a bunch of random verses, but they're really not verse, random. There is a theme running through there. So as you, as you listen to uh, Proverbs chapter 17 later, uh, you'll hear that th first verse, and then just look for that theme throughout of the fact that if we'd have some self-control, we wouldn't have the problems that we do. Father God in heaven, grateful that we get to be in your house today uh, to celebrate the coming of your son, the reality that he is in our lives. He's seated with you in heaven right now, and he reigns in our hearts if we've trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Thank you today that we get a chance to celebrate the birth of your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. There are times that, you know, I, I try to plan out where we're going with sermon series, that sort of thing, and I'm looking at pieces of the calendar trying to see how it all fits together. And then there are times that while I'm paying attention, there are things I miss, and I'm so glad that God says, wait a second, this is what I want to say today. And so I'm going through this theme, looking at this theme as we're heading into today's message and the theme that was developing was one of hopes, hopes and dreams, the, the hopes that we have, sometimes the hopes that, that get deferred or, or diverted. And, um, and I'm reading the, the Dwell uh, Advent reading this past week, and sure enough, one of the days really it just zeroed in on this theme. I think it was on Thursday. So I decided that's the one we're going to go ahead and read today. And it went along so well with the fact that today is the lighting of the, the pink candle, the pink candle that represents hope. The opening quote by Teresa of Lisieux simply said, When we yield to discouragement or despair, it is usually because we give too much thought to the past and to the future. We could probably just sit right there all morning long. They write dreams by their very nature, have an unattainable quality that is what differentiates them from tasks or goals. No amount of careful planning or skilled acquisition can guarantee the success of a dream. The vision is simply too big. The hope's too grand. Therefore, if and when a dream comes to pass, 
We can barely contain our sense of amazement or the depth of our wonder. Such moments give birth to the phrase, never in my wildest dreams. Psalm 126 is one such moment in the life of the nation of Israel. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream, the verse says. As a people suffering under the weight of exile, Israel could never redeem their story or reclaim their future. Yet in Scripture, we encounter the extravagant love of God extended to helpless people in great need. What Israel could not do for themselves, God did. The restoration of their fortunes was nothing short of a dream come true. And it is no different for us. The birth of Christ is a dream we didn't even know to dream. It's a love so selfless no human could possibly imagine it, let alone bring it to pass. It is pure grace. The life of God given for the life of the world How do we respond to such a remarkable gift? What gift can we possibly offer in return? We offer nothing less than our very lives. Poured out in thanksgiving and praise, mouths filled with laughter and tongues that shout for joy. These are the gifts that we bring the newborn king who has done far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. They mentioned Psalm 126, and so I thought appropriate to to read this short psalm today. Again, these are the people in exile coming home. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. We are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renewed in the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. We'll be talking more about dreams in a little bit, but for now as we go to communion, I thought it would be good to reflect on this dream come true. Jesus came for you. Whatever you're facing in this life, you don't have to face it alone. You have a Savior who loves you, a Savior that promises to be with you all the time. And we're given this reminder on a weekly basis that He came, He lived a life, He suffered, He bled, He died, was buried, and rose again so that we could have eternal life. Father God in heaven, as we move toward communion this morning, Let us not undervalue the tremendous gift you've given to us in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thank you, for Jesus, for giving us yourself so that we could have a relationship with your Father through all that you did and through who you are. Such selfless love. We're grateful. We pray in your name. Amen little irony with that song. You you may be aware that it's a song that emerged from a bit of a disaster, a problem. Uh, You you set up this grand celebration for Christmas. You're going to put on a program, you've got all the the tech, you're ready to go, and then the tech has a disaster. 
many, 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 many years ago, the tech disaster was that the organ broke. The organ broke. What are we going to do? How are we going to have Christmas without the organ? And this man wrote out this little song called Silent Night, sung a cappella, and it turns out to be one of the most beautiful songs of Christmas. Born of disaster. Born of a problem. We have hopes and dreams. We think we know the way our life is going to work. We have it set out before us, and then we have diversions, deferments, and disasters. And we think, oh no, what a mess, only to find out that some of the most beautiful things are born of the diversion and disasters and deferments. That's what we're going to look at this morning. We've been looking at how to discern the will of God. And as we have, we've now settled into this part that we're looking at characters of Christmas and some real-life discernment stories. People who had to make decisions based on what was being placed before them. What path should I go? What do you desire for me, God? What is your calling for me in your grand story? And we're looking at people like Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and Simeon and Anna. All of them were were beautiful pieces of the story of redemption. They had no idea. They couldn't even have dreamed how they might fit into the story. And God used each of them as they were willing to listen and follow. I'd like to look today at, at the earthly father of, jo- of, of Jesus. His name, of course, is Joseph. We spent time looking at Mary last week. I want to look instead at Joseph today and just see some of who he's about and how he was able to discern the will of God for his life. So let's start with some background. When you read about Joseph, you find that he is of, he is of royal lineage. And that was important because the Savior to be born into the world was supposed to be part of this ultimate throne of King David. That was important. And so when we learn of Joseph, we find that he has this lineage. Where do we find it? Well, we find it in Matthew chapter 1. In one of those lists called genealogies, you set out to do a new year of Bible reading. You're so excited, and you open up Matthew chapter 1, and -and so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so, and you're kind of going, I was looking for inspiration. Instead today, I see this long list of names that I can't even pronounce, but this list of names is absolutely beautiful and important. It goes all the way back to Abraham. And then 14 generations later, we have David. And 14 generations later, we have people coming from exile, and ultimately, Joseph is born. Beautiful, beautiful lineage, and important to be able to trace back that he was actually from the line of David. We know this as well, because when it comes time for the census, he has to go back to his hometown. Now, I don't know about you, when I refer to my hometown, I refer to North Tonawanda, the place I was born. Hometown was not necessarily the place you were born or the place you lived. It was the place where your family was from. Where, did your, where is your lineage? From whom did you descend? And so for Joseph, he has to go to yet another song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He needs to make the journey to Bethlehem because he is from the line of King David. So even though he is a really humble man in this world, he's got royal blood running through his veins. His hometown where he lives is Nazareth. 
You know that it's Nazareth. You've heard that before. Luke chapter 2 tells us that Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, to Bethlehem, because he was from the line of David. So while his family is originally from Bethlehem, he has ended up in this place called Nazareth. And in fact, later on, when they're, when they're escaping Egypt, coming back to the land of promise, he, de- he decides he's going to come north. He's thinking about maybe settling in, in Bethlehem once again. He knows there could be trouble there. And an angel reminds him, hey, you want to head back? It's important to head back to Nazareth. In fact, ultimately, we find that when Jesus is, is meeting disciples, one of the disciples, Nathaniel, says of Jesus, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Are you kidding me? It's such a, it's such a podunk place. It's such an out-of-the-way place that, that people didn't imagine this is the place that a Messiah could come from, a king could come from, or even anything important could come from. It's a nothing place. I have a map for you. It's covered a little bit by the barn today, but it's great to have this up here for Christmas. This is a map of Israel, ancient Israel, and you see up toward the north, there's Nazareth in the circle. And I just want you to notice, if you go a little bit over toward the sea, there's Mount Carmel right there. So it's within, it's within sight of Mount Carmel. And here you have the Sea of Galilee. So it's not far from the Sea of Galilee. This whole region is actually called Galilee. You have the Jordan River running on down to the Dead Sea. At the time of Jesus, about 300 people live here. Talk about a small town. It's a dinky little place. And most of the people are farmers or tradesmen. They, 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 they work with their hands. These aren't rich people. They're not hyper-intelligent people. Scholars aren't coming from this place. They're just, they're just using their hands to eke out a living. If you look down toward the south, you see Jerusalem. Jerusalem is here in Bethany, Bethlehem, just a little, little ways away from Jerusalem. This is, this is where it's all happening. This is, this is the Chicago you know, for them. This is the place that, that, that the buzz is happening all the time. If you wanted to be in, if you wanted to be in on the action, you were going to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about a 90-mile journey from Nazareth, which, you know, nowadays, 90 miles, that's not even quite getting to Bloomington. It's a little shy of Bloomington. Take you, you know, a little over an hour, boom, you're there. Four-day walk, four-day walk to get from Nazareth down to where the action is. And then Jerusalem's just five miles away from Bethlehem. So it gives you a little idea. Israel is a small place. It's a small place. But when all you can do is walk, it gets a little bigger real, real fast, right? Where did people live? They lived in mud brick homes. This is a house that was was excavated not too far of what's called the Church of the Annunciation uh, there in Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth now has about 77,000 people. It's grown a little bit. But they found this little house inside with a courtyard to the outside. For a long time, they weren't getting archaeological findings of homes from that time. And so there was a lot of doubt as to whether Nazareth was really part of the story of Jesus or not. And what they did come to determine is that while some people lived in houses, a lot of people lived in caves. This, this gives you an idea of just how, how poor this village was. This is a very, it's a very poor place to live. Not much going on. 
God is sending his son into the world. And he doesn't send him into a, into a, a beautiful palace. He sends him to a place that a lot of people live in caves. I found Nazareth fascinating. We were able to go to Israel in 2001, just prior to 9-11. Got to wander all over the place. And one of the places that amazed me was standing on Mount Carmel and just looking out over all of the north of Israel. From standing on, on that mountain, you can see three mountains, Mount Tabor, Mount Mora, and Mount Gilboa. And you notice right over here, from Mount Carmel, you can see Nazareth. You can see that place where Jesus spends his early childhood. This is the view from Nazareth uh, out into what's known as the Jezreel Valley. Jezreel Valley is significant. This is the area that Megiddo, Armageddon, the last battle of all time here. So Jesus is growing up in a place that he can look out and see someday it's all ending right here. Talk about, talk about just a crash the birth of Christ and the end of the world, all right in the same area. Jesus, uh, or Joseph, is a carpenter, we know. We hear that. How do we know he's a carpenter? Well, when Jesus goes back to Nazareth in Matthew chapter 13 to preach, he finds what a lot of people find. The hometown doesn't like to listen to the hometown kid. Oh, you sound brilliant to people far away, but when you come home, they go, I remember that squirt. I remember that kid. I remember who he was. And believe it or not, Jesus, the perfect son of God, has the same issue. He goes home and people are like, isn't this, isn't this Joseph's kid? The carpenter's son? Isn't this Mary's kid? I mean, don't his brothers live here today? Aren't his sisters around here? What in the world? Why should we listen to him? And there's that mention that, he was a, that his father was a carpenter, a trade that would have been passed on to his son. You look in, in the original languages, and the word for carpenter is technon, T-E-K-N-O-N, technon. Technon is not a reference to what we would typically think of as a carpenter, someone who's building tables and chairs and all that sort of thing. It's really broader. It's a term that we might use for, for a builder. We might use it actually for a stonemason for a medical, metal, metal worker, or a construction worker. So this is, I mean, kind of jack of all trades. If it needs to be built, whether it's out of stone, metal, or wood, Joseph was involved in building these things. Gives you an idea of, of who he is. In terms of his character, there are three words that emerge. He's a just man, he's a contemplative man, and he's a selfless man. We know that when he finds out that Mary is pregnant with someone else's baby, he wants to, it says, put her away quietly. What does that mean? He didn't want to bring her public shame. We talked about betrothals last week. We'll talk about it again a little bit this week as well. A betrothal was more than an engagement. To end a betrothal, there was a divorce process that went on, and he didn't want to make a big thing of it and embarrass Mary. Why? He's a just man. There's a, there's a just spirit within him. He's also a contemplative man. He receives this news and it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel appeared to him. I don't know about you, when, when you receive that kind of news, what's your reaction? For most of us, our reaction is not one to be contemplative. It's one to throw things and break a lot of stuff. It's, it's a moment that we want to express our rage. The thing we hope for has been dashed 
And instead we find with Joseph that he, that he stops and just thinks about what's happening. He's got a contemplative spirit. And he's also got a selfless spirit. I'm going to be kind of subtle here. When Joseph woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. He took Mary to be his wife, but he didn't know her until Jesus was born. What does know her mean? Biblical way of saying he knew her or didn't know her. You know what I mean? So basically he's saying there was no relationship with them from this moment to the point of Jesus' birth. Here's an incredibly selfless man. All his life he's just waited to have a wife and enjoy everything that goes into having a spouse. He says, no, I'm going to wait. Selflessness marks Joseph. All of this justness, contemplative nature, selflessness mark him. And one more thing. He's not mentioned again after Luke chapter 2. We have Mary standing at the foot of the cross. We have Mary there during miracles. And we don't hear about Joseph again. And it is believed that he likely died at a younger age than he would have desired. He wasn't part of those memorable moments in the life of Jesus. The last we hear from him is at the temple when Jesus is 12 years old. And then Joseph just disappears from the story. What does Joseph bring to us as we look at his story today? On my phone a while back, I started doing something with, uh, with my calendar. I try to mark events that I might forget the date. Now, I'm not talking about big things like, I'll always remember we moved in here December 24th. That's locked in. I don't have to write down Kim's birthday. I got that one. It's sometime in January. I, you know, there, there, there are these events that, that I know them, I remember them well. But there are these other things that happen, and I want to remember exactly when they happen. December's got a few of them. So in December, I look them, one of them says, Shelly got the part. She was involved in a couple of musicals in high school and got the lead. And it says, Shelly got the part in my calendar. There's one that says, end of the world party. For some reason, Nate got fascinated. Remember when the, whatever calendar was ran out and supposedly the world was going to end? Nate threw an end of the world party to celebrate the potential end of the world. And then there's one, there's one on December 14th. And this one, the reason I put it in there is I need to be reminded of the goodness of God. December 14th says, Brian deferred. Brian deferred. From the time this kid was a little, little, little boy, the University of Illinois was in his sights. He was going. We had friends at church who wanted to do something special for our family, and so they bought tickets to a U of I game, and we went with our friend. And I'm telling you what, from the second this kid saw that campus, he was like, I'm here. This is where I'm going to school. And he had his sights set on going to the University of Illinois. Comes time to apply, and I'm looking, I'm going, smart kid, he's not going to have any trouble. I think he applied, didn't you apply to the School of Business? Which was a little tougher to get into, but it's Brian, it's all going to work out, right? And it comes time in December for us to find out whether or not we've been accepted to the school and his friends are getting acceptance letters and Brian gets a, you're going to have to wait. We don't quite have enough room for you right now. You might make it, you might not. And I got to tell you what, as a dad, it was not one of the happier days of my life. This kid had dreamed all of his life of this is the place he was going to school. And now what? 
Where is he going to end up? What's going to happen? What's, what's the track of his life going to be? Now, it turns out, I didn't put, out, put another one that says Brian Undeferred, but it wasn't, it wasn't very long after. It was, it was pretty quick. Um, but it was an important lesson for Brian and for all of our family. You think you can count on your plan. This is, this is how my plan is going to unfold. And then, boom, something happens. You go, what's this? What's this all about? And I promise you, if we were to go around the room there, there are things that you expected in your life, dreams that you had, that you thought, this is the way it's going to work. This is the job I'm going to have. This is, this is the way my family is going to look. This is, these are the things that I can expect. And then, boom, curveball, diverted, deferred. And, and you're just, there's disaster. And you're like, wait a second. I thought I knew the way my life was going to go. Joseph's story is a story of diverted dreams. He's got some plans for his life, and it seems at every turn, boom, boom, he's being nudged in another direction. As we went through our Proverbs reading this past week, came across a verse that is so meaningful to me in that book. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Is it not true that when our hope is deferred, when our hope is diverted, there is just a sickness in heart and soul? We're like, man, I thought I knew what was going to happen. Now what? Now what? Well, at every turn, Joseph's dreams are diverted. They're deferred. Much like his namesake, Joseph in the Old Testament, has this dream about ruling, ends up sold off to slavery, ends up in prison, and ultimately ends up exactly where God wants him to the point that he can say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God's always working a plan. He's always got a plan going in your life. And yet there are times you're like, did he forget me? Because the plan doesn't seem to be working out. Well, your plan doesn't seem to be working out. His plan is. What happened to him? Well, first of all, the betrothal blew up. We talked a little bit about this concept of betrothal, that it's, that it's more than engagement. You're, you're talking about a time in which parents arranged marriages, a time in which there was often an exchange of property, there was a dowry, there were, there were already some legal entanglements that required a legal undoing of a betrothal. It wasn't simply a hand back a ring and I'll see you later, unfriend you from Facebook. It, there, was, there was much, much more involved with this. And so here's Joseph and he's betrothed to this woman named Mary. And Mary comes to him and says, I'm going to have a baby. The reason for a betrothal was to prove that the virgin was a virgin. So already we've got a problem because the reason for the betrothal has exposed the fact that she's, she's with someone else's child, but then she goes on to give this, this kooky story that it's not a, a, not a baby from a human man, but from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's just, he's having to wrap his mind around this. What in the world am I supposed to do? And we said he, he was contemplative. He took the time. He's considering these things. And an angel appears to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For what is conceived from her is truly from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sin. 
In his mind, the betrothal blew up, but God had a far better plan. God had a far better plan. In Matthew we read, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know that when Joseph woke from his sleep after hearing this, he did exactly what the angel commanded him and took Mary to be his wife. The betrothal seemed to blow up, but God had a better plan. Further, I think Joseph had in his mind that he would, uh, he would settle down and stay put. So they're in Nazareth. They need to go down to Bethlehem for the census. And people in town, in a town of 300, yeah, people start having their suspicions and figuring some things out, right? They get married, but all of a sudden Mary's pregnant. And way pregnanter than she should be based on the dates and based on the times and, and chatter starts and people are talking and it really is a good time to leave town. They head down to Bethlehem. The baby is born in Bethlehem in a stable of all places. This poor guy, he wants to provide something amazing for his child. The best he could do is a stable. If I'd have said to Kim, hey, there's this great stable in Joliet, she'd have said, yeah, see ya. See ya, I'm headed to the hospital. This isn't going to happen, right? Well, they end up in Bethlehem, and, and, and then while they're in Bethlehem, the Bible actually tells us, this may blow some of you away a little bit, a lot of times in a setting like this, there would be a camel and, you know, maybe a second camel, and, and a white guy standing like this with gold, and, and, and a black guy standing kind of like this, with myrrh, and an oriental guy, maybe on the camel, or maybe way down, holding yet another gift. And, and, and we place these guys here, and guess what? They weren't there. The Bible says those guys came to the house. So, sorry, what you need to do is take them out of your nativity and put them over on the dining room table, okay? Put them far away, because they're not there yet. In fact, we figure they came about two years later. You're like, how do you know that? Well, because Herod asked the wise men, when did the star appear? And they say about two years ago, and the star appeared when Jesus was born. And so Herod says, I've got to wipe out all the males to and under. It's about two years. They didn't go back to Bethlehem. They were set, or back to Nazareth. They were settling in in Bethlehem. This is a nice place, not as much talk. Not as many people that know our story. We're liking it here. It's nice to be back in, in the place that, that our family started. And he gets warned in a dream, you need to get up and get out of here. Go to Egypt. Not a place most Israelites want to go. Egypt was the place we left to come to the promised land. And now the angel is saying, you'll be safe in Egypt. Just like Moses was safe in the Nile River, the place of death. You'll be safe in Egypt. You see, he wanted to settle down and stay put, but, but God had a prophetic purpose. The Bible said, out of Egypt I will call my son. He had to go to Egypt to fulfill the prophecy that had been spoken in Scripture before. Out of Egypt I will call my son. So sometimes you're like, life's feeling good, and boom, it's upended, and you're like, what's going on? God has a purpose that he's looking to fulfill. Should we be quiet long enough to ask God, what is it that you're doing in this? As opposed to, my dreams have been shattered. My, my peace has been destroyed. 
Well, time in Egypt is done. Herod dies. His son takes over. And what does Joseph think? Back to Bethlehem. Let's go back to Bethlehem. And as he's thinking about going to Beth, back to Bethlehem, he realizes Herod's son is in charge. His name is Archelaus. He's reigning. And he's, he's a little nervous to go back where his son is only five miles away, right there in the center of everything. And so ultimately, he's warned in a dream to stay away from Judea, head back north, head back to Galilee, get off the beaten path, get far, far away from the action where for the next 30 years, my son will have the chance to grow and develop so that 30 years from now, his ministry can be revealed. And he starts that ministry in Galilee and ultimately ends up in Jerusalem. He wanted to go back to Bethlehem, but God had a far different ideal in mind. In Nazareth, he was far, far away from the people who would harm him. He was in a podunk nothing town that nobody was paying attention to, way off the beaten path. He had one other desire that we see in Scripture. He just wanted a peaceful Passover in Jerusalem. His kid is 12, and, and he just wants... Have you ever had a peaceful day with a 12-year-old? But anyway... His kid is 12, and it's time to go celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. You didn't go alone. You went with the town. You go with the crowd. And those Psalms of Ascent that we read, some of those are sung along the way as you're headed back to Jerusalem. And they get there, and they're having a great time, and they're, and they're on their way back home, and, and people start, and Mary and Joseph start asking, hey, have you, have you seen Jesus lately? Have you seen Jesus around? You know, we think, oh my goodness, how, how could somebody forget? You know, we're reminded in Walmart, is your kid in the back seat? There was no, there was no speaker reminding them, right? He's with the crowd. He's hanging out with friends. They can't find Jesus. And there's this moment, this dramatic moment of Mary and Joseph going, we've lost the Son of God. Of all, we've lost the Son of God. Can you believe this? They get back to Jerusalem as fast as they can. They're, they're looking around. And what's Jesus doing? He's teaching the teachers at the temple. Do you see part of the reason this kid needed to be out of the way? Because already at 12 years old, He's raising a stir simply by sharing what he knows. Simply by sharing what he knows. He wanted a peaceful time in Jerusalem. And of course, it was anything but peaceful. But God had a new path for everyone. He had something in mind that was far, far better than Joseph could ever dream. All Joseph wanted was a nice religious ceremony. And God's saying, it's not about religion. It's all about my son. Listen to him. Hear him. What are the marks of the heart of Joseph? How, do we, how are we to be wired in such a way that we can respond to the deferments and, and the ways in which our, our dreams sometimes get destroyed or diverted. What are the marks of this kind of a heart? Well, for one, he had an open heart. He was open to whatever God wanted. Do you have that kind of openness? Because I tell you what, there's some things in my life that I want. And it's hard to say, God, if you want something else, I'm okay with that. It is not the easiest thing to pray the words, your kingdom come, your will be done. If it's easy, you're not really thinking about the words. It's not the easiest thing to pray, may it be to me according to your word. 
because that might mean that I don't get my dreams. But I get to live out the dream of God. Do we have a heart that's open to wherever God might take us? He also had a humble heart. Tremendous humility. To be able to do the things he did, to be able to face the circumstances he did, and every time just say, God, whatever you want, I am open. He did not view himself as the ruler of his life. He viewed God the Father as the ruler of his life. Here's another thing I find about him that is intriguing. He had a closed mouth. I realized this several years back, and it just kind of blew me away. There is not a word in Scripture attributed to Joseph. Not one word. Mary interacts with the angel. We hear words from Mary. We have an entire song from Mary. What do we have from Joseph? Crickets. Not a word. Not a word of reaction. He had a closed mouth. And in the process of closing his mouth, he was able to have a contemplative spirit. Some of us are so quick to blather with our mouths or blather with our fingers that we're missing out on listening to God. This is a piece of what gave him a listening spirit to be able to stop and hear what God was saying. He had a closed mouth. But, but here's the thing that I love. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. James says that um, you'll, you will, it'll be proven whether or not you believe in the Word of God, not by what you say, but by what you do. He was a man with an immediate response. Every time the angel spoke, it says, Joseph got up and went. Every time. There isn't once that he says, I need a week to think on it. Or, you know, I got, I'm, I'm, I got this building project going. If you, just, if you just give me a few days. Not once. Not once. Every time. His actions spoke far louder than his words. When he realized what God wanted, he acted immediately. Three different passages we see where he immediately does exactly what God desires. There are things you want, there are dreams you have, and the diversion happens, the deferment happens. What do you do with it? How much does your heart match who Joseph is? Hope deferred makes a heart sick. And I can tell you from experience, it really does. And I know you could tell us from experience. It really does. It makes you sick when hope is pushed off. Is it possible that your dream deferred is actually God's promise being fulfilled? Is it possible to look at it long enough to go, maybe God is doing something here. I had a plan, but God is doing something here, and I didn't even realize it. Could it be that God's desire is way better than anything you could have ever dreamed? I want to encourage you to be open to a diverted dream. Be open to a deferment. When those things come your way, don't just get mad and break things. Stop, be quiet, and ask God, what are you up to? What are you up to? Let's stand together. And so, Father God, help us as we live in a hopeless world. There is a lot of hopelessness around us. There is a lot of brokenness around us. And we're supposed to be the people of the pink candle. We're supposed to be the people of hope. 
And even our own dreams and our own desires sometimes get shattered. And we're like, how can I continue to have hope in and among all of this? Lord, I pray that we would have our eyes and ears and hearts open to the fact that those moments that seem like a disaster for us may actually be your holy will being accomplished in and through us. Help us to walk more in discernment, to listen and to hear your voice, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you.